Welcome to the Zero Stars Podcast, a podcast about video games and audiophilia. Unhelpful directions. My name is Bob. And I'm Matt. And we're here to talk about video games. Hey. So normally this is a part of the show where we launch into a hard-hitting investigative news piece uh, that we've, you know, something that we've been hunting down for weeks on years sometimes. Years even. It depends, but yeah. definitely something where we bring you the facts about the video game industry and then add that little off-kilter spin that uh, I think is really our signature. But we're not going to do that this week because all of our investigative reporters are on assignment. Uh, but I think we will touch on the fact that last week's hard-hitting hot news jam, uh, which was about a New York Times article that said men across the world, I think in America specifically. Yeah, specifically America, even though they were using images from across the world. Yeah, uh, men were playing more video games and doing less work because video games are good now, as opposed to the past. That story is apparently uh, very popular. It's been picked up by, like, the Seattle Times and pretty much, like, every minor news outlet I could find <laughs> uh, talking just about like, and they'll just like re refashion the title to something along the lines of like, Hey, are your video games making you lazy? Um, so are they, I, I mean, it's worse than that. It's really more like, like report colon dude, are your video games making you lazy? So just like talk about lazy. Um, Very just nice. like, huh? Oh, very nice. Yeah. Hey. Um, I think that like the Washington Times put out at least one piece that that drew on some actual like other statistics that showed that like it's not just men who are playing more video games. Um, it's pretty much universal across you know all genders. You put a video game machine in every single person's pocket, the amount of video games they play yeah. is probably going to increase. Precisely. So I think that part of this also comes down to like what do we consider a video game? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, but let's just like skip this news hour. There's nothing nothing fun is happening in the news. It's like I mean I realize I'm a terrible person this week when it comes to news cuz I have the New York Times app on my phone, which I would say is the game I play the most on my uh phone. And I I've reached a point where I so look forward to negative news about the current political climate, like the Trump regime. Uh that when other news happens and I get the notification and it's not like something new in the still developing Russia scandal, I am disappointed. And so I was at work this week and it popped up with a New York Times headline and I was like, oh boy, what's it going to be? <laughs> and it was about a new leukemia cure having been like uh, accepted by the FDA. And I was like, well, this is bullshit. <laughs> So at least you're getting that. I get like hot new like apple butter recipes for the summer. And, oh, I like, never get that, dude. I get like I get like recipe updates from the New York Times. Does, does it like when you download the app? Does it make you? I don't select? even have the app. It's doing it through like the news, um, the the like Apple News. Oh, I don't use Apple News. So I also get Chicago Tribune and Fox News on mm, there. Interesting. Uh, just I throw the Fox News in there because I'm always sort of curious in a. What's going on? Morbid way. Uh, is Kid Rock leading in his race for Senate? His white race for Senate? Um, God damn it. I, yeah, I, like the news is just, the news is a bummer. I know that like there's this sense that we're in the middle of Watergate part two. Nothing's, you heard it here for, first folks, nothing's going to come of this. They're too oily and slimy. To, this is going to get out. And plus, as we discussed before, impeachment might end up being like, the worst thing that yeah, could happen to us. There are no point. good options once yeah. you elect Donald Trump as president. Like, yes. there's nothing that's like, and then we turned it around and Sayerson threw the touchdown pass. That doesn't happen in this scenario. Uh, so, enough about that. Let's talk about happier things. Because, Matt, you and I have returned to an old friend. We have. We have returned to Dark Souls. Hello, Dark Souls, my old friend. This is a new segment we're going to call... How's your Dark Souls? And uh, both you and I would say are fans of the series. Yeah, uh, in in a strange way. Yes. Insofar as that, I think that w 
you despise Dark Souls 2. I think it I is not good. incredibly ambivalent about it. Um, I, I would say that my ambivalence leans more toward, like, this is bullshit, why do I keep playing it? Yeah. Uh, not that I've played it in a long time, but... Um, yeah, we're we're not returning to our favorite Dark Souls. The first Dark Souls, our first love. Yeah, we're not returning to what is argue really inarguably probably the best Dark Souls. I, I, I agree. Uh, we have decided that we would take it unto ourselves to play Dark Souls three. Yes, Dark Souls the third, uh, which came out I believe last year, maybe the year before. I actually I think it was the year before. That's crazy. I think it was twenty fifteen. So neither of us really played this game. When it came out, I, yeah. I had minor experiences with it. Um, I actively ignored it because I'd been so turned off by Dark Souls 2. Yeah, I feel like the second Dark Souls, like, apparently that game is very well regarded by some people in, like, the PvP Dark Souls community, which is a thing that... The people I, who like the shitty part of Dark Souls. Totally. Yeah. And I feel like that game really leans into a lot of the bad parts of Dark Souls, which is to say that it's, like, a weird boss rush... And it's kind of just like, it's hard, right? Like, right, bro? You die a lot. Which is actually kind of not what Dark Souls is about at all. Yeah. Um, Like, Dark Souls is a game about exploring, and the exploring is interesting because it is a threatening place. Whereas Dark Souls 2 is just like, this is a real boring place, but you're going to die a lot. (laughs) Dark Souls 2, to me, seems like a grind fest. In a way that one certainly isn't. Um, if you're paying attention and three so far doesn't feel to be either. Yeah. So I, we've both played about four hours of this game. Uh, I I actually, I've just played a little over three and I think you're at four. Where, where are you in the world? Um, so this, it's kind of hard to explain this over audio, but like I'm through the first section. I've beaten the first major boss. Did you unfurl your flag? No, I had the option to do it, but I don't have a flag. Uh, okay. This took me a while too. Yeah. Um, do you know where to find the flag? I, I haven't figured it out. I, I, I honestly though, I beat the guy. Yeah. Walked out. There's you beat this boss. You walk out on a ledge. There's this like insanely beautiful vista. Like it looks tremendous, and it it's the sort of thing that I feel like Dark Souls One was very good at, yes. and Dark Souls Two was very bad at. And so nothing makes me feel better about this game than seeing that. Uh, so. I like walked out, saw that it was like midnight 30 <laughs> and I was like, Oh, there's a button to unfurl my flag. And I did it and it said, you can't do that. And I said, all right. And I quit the game. <laughs> it has a, it has, a, I, this is true to dark souls in general, perhaps into the ethos, but like the, uh, I put off finding the flag for a long time because the place where you find a flag was for me littered with warnings about like, big boss ahead like interesting be careful and it was trolling that's great there is there's a space where you just approach this old woman and she just like gives you a flag oh interesting but it's uh it's not too far from that boss but it's a uh, it is kind of oh like, it's in the it's in the yeah. it's in the church yeah it's in the church so i i well i went up there and i saw her at the end of the thing and right before you go into this church there's this big church yeah uh to Giant the left space. of the door is a knight who is also not facing you. Yeah. And he actually will fuck you up. He will. Uh, yeah. Like, compared to the other people you've been fighting in the area. And when I was approaching him, I expected him to be friendly. And then uh. I actually... I left a message that said, like, like enemy ahead or something like that. And it's gotten right, rated repeatedly. Oh, nice. I haven't left any messages uh, yet. And so that's been fun because, like, I feel like I helped people. But then I came around that corner and I saw her. And I was like... Fool me once, video game. <laughs> that was my exact reaction, but it was because people were trolling me with That's these great. messages outside the door that say, like, send help <laughs> and stuff like that. So I was exceptionally concerned, and I was just like, I'm not ready to go near this lady yet. I just beat that other boss, but this seems like it's extra hard. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I was I ignored her for a while, and then finally I, like, traded in my, all my souls, leveled up, and I was like, all right, I'm ready to yeah, fight the old lady. going to go kill that old lady. And then she just gives me this flag, and I was like, well, I guess I'm moving on now. Yeah, so I, I think it's pretty clear we both are having a really good time with this game. Yes. Um, I'm having, I gotta say, I expected to kind of hate this, uh, given my experience with the second game, but I'm having a wonderful experience, and I, it's really rekindling... Hey. 
for me, uh, a lot of the same feelings that I had playing the first Dark Souls. I think that Dark Souls is more than than most games, but like any, especially any good game, is subject to the law of diminishing returns. Hmm. Um, obviously, this is a totally new world to explore. I don't think that it still just does not compare to me to like it's to the original. And it's hard not to look at Dark Souls, like look back on it through you know kind of like a rose-tinted cathedral window glass um because like it is that is such a that was such a seminal moment for me as a player of video games yeah it was really like a kind of return to video games for me yeah um i had a a, a, an xbox 360 and was just kind of like tooling around with stuff like played like the mass effect 2 game and i was like i guess that's what video games are now and then someone someone on some blog was like have you guys all heard about this dark souls and i went out I had some cash, went out, like, purchased it. Uh, I remember because I had just gotten, like, a check that day, yeah. like, my, my from work. And, uh, man, I just, I could not. I was in, like, in, su- in such awe of it. And I think that, that this suffers by comparison simply because it's got a three in the title. Yeah. And, and we have played the others. So that first Dark Souls, I... Uh, it came out, and I had not played any of the other ones. I'd always wanted to play Demon Souls, but mm-hmm. I had a uh, Xbox, so I could not because I was on the PlayStation only. And so, Dark Souls came out, and I was pumped, and I got it, and I played it so much that I think it directly contributed to me losing my job <laughs> soon <laughs> after because I I would oh, it was all I was thinking about, um, and I get where you're coming from. And it's funny because, like, very much, and more so than most games, like, this to me is a very honest sort of sequel in a way that I feel like Dark Souls 2 kind of wasn't, where this is literally more of Dark Souls. It is faster, more challenging Dark Souls. Like, yeah, it's just a tweaked version of it. It looks better. It runs better. Um, it, it does run better. I still get some frame rate. Hitches, which is tough coming from Neo, which so, was smooth as butter. You are on the PlayStation. Yeah, I'm on the I'm, PlayStation 4. I'm playing this on the, the Bone, the Xbox One. And I performance-wise, I'm actually kind of surprised by how well it's holding up, given mm. that I expect a from, a from Software game, which is the developer of Dark Souls. I kind of expect their games to be technical train wrecks. Um, or at least play better on the Japanese system. Yeah. But in, I'm, I, I mean, I haven't experienced anything bad with it, but who knows? It hasn't been atrocious by any means. I just think that, like, coming from Neo, which allows you to lock at 60 frames per second, there's this part of me that's like, why should I accept anything less than that? <laughs> um, yeah. So that's been tricky. I, I totally accept this game, and I'm having a good time with it. I want to keep playing it. Like, I think about it often. But there is, you know, there's this moment that's kind of encapsulated by that start screen where mm-hmm. I was hoping it would just be silence, yes. like the original Dark Souls, and then you press start, and it just does that like awesome sh- sword clang. Showing sound. Clang, yeah. And instead, there's like this very beautiful, but somewhat um, intrusive, by comparison, totally. choral music that's like that's coming at you. And I remember thinking, like, well, I guess this is the evolution of Dark Souls that I have to accept. Yeah, and there there are other issues. It picks up the um, the whole Firelink Shrine. The fact that you have to travel to level up that that is the only part of this game that I'm honestly not enjoying. I I don't like that space. So, that sort of honeycomb structure. What you're referencing is this is the fact that the way this game works, uh, there are bonfires, which are a central idea in all the Dark Souls games where you have these spots on the map where you can save your game momentarily and um, kind of restart from that spot. But you can also travel between these bonfires. Although in the first Dark Souls, doesn't it take a time before you're allowed to, to it, fast travel? Yeah, you're not able to do that until you go to Anorlando. Oh, is it really when you get to Anorlando? It's like it's like when you beat that giant that lets oh, you go there. Oh, that's so brilliant that it's only then? Yeah. Because you've basically played half the game. And you have and a very good sense of that area beforehand. Yes. Because when you're not able to jump between these, you really learn spaces because you have to walk everywhere and it's so treacherous. And uh, that is such a major flaw in this one, in my opinion. I agree. Because out of the gate, you're able to jump between these. But beyond that, in the first Dark Souls... 
the central conceit of the game is you kill things, they give you souls, and then you can spend those souls to make your character more powerful. Uh, you have to cash those souls in, though. In the first game, you can do that at any bonfire, but in this game, and Dark Souls 2... And Bloodborne, which is another game point. from the same the same from software developers, and potentially at least part, partially the same team. It's the same director. Same director. And then he returned... He was absent for 2, and then returned for... He worked three. on Bloodborne during during the production, of and then Dark he Souls worked two. on three. And now, I believe now he's he co-director is the on three. President of From, so yeah. I think he was probably not very involved. Let's hope that's not a Peter Principal kind of thing. Yeah, but in any case, he the, these later games, you are forced to jump back to a central location to spend your souls, uh, which would not be a problem if the game did not have very long loads, and so. This this could be an Xbox thing. Yeah, my loads are not particularly. There, it's brutal. Like you, so you're just you know you want to go make your guy stronger so you can go back out and kill more things, and you have to sit through two thirty second loads because you have to load into the space to go spend the souls. You have to wander over to a person, you talk to them, then you wander back to a fire, press a button, wait thirty seconds, and now I'm playing the game again. Yeah, it's my really loads- painful. My loads aren't so bad so much as that it just really, it disrupts the flow of exploration. Yeah. The world feels much smaller as a result. Much smaller and less nuanced. Um, I think that this game does an interesting job of doubling back, like level spaces that double back on themselves and feel broad. And it's unquestionably just like larger than just even initially, like the, the, the individual levels are larger than they were in Dark Souls. But traversing that space seems to happen so much faster. Um, And then you just never need to visit it again once you've gone through, you know, once you've gotten to the bonfire at the far end. See, I feel like I've, I've kind of been tracking back through stuff. So I was having a really rough time with this game uh, when I first started playing. You mean you were bad? Uh, I am bad. And I, I think this is going to be a recurring theme in our podcast generally. I am terrible at video games. Just laying that out here. That's an overstatement. You're not terrible. Oh, thanks, Mom. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, I'm not very good at them. And so, I was having a lot of difficulty. Um, But the cool game kind of turned for me. uh, There is a dragon in this opening level of this game. And he's standing on top of a tower. Wait, there's a dragon in this game? There's a dragon in this game. So, this this is a a game... Is this not real? No, so this is about dungeons... And uh, dragons that are adjacent to the dungeons. Mm. And so you are a person who's playing a role and traversing these dungeons and fighting these dragons. And it's Japanese. So would it be a JRPG? Depends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, did you free the prisoner? So I don't have the key. But so what Uh. happened for me is I, I got to a spot. Where uh, I was just like, this is fucking hard. And I'm just kind of like not good at it. And I'm just not doing damage to things. Like I'm just not killing them fast enough. And so if there's more than one guy on me, I'm just dead. Uh, <laughs> when they come upon you. Yes, when there's more than one guy, I am in a lot of trouble. But I, in that tower where this dragon is, you can fight a mimic. Which is yes. it's a chest that turns into a terrifying monster man yeah i hit that chest real hard with my sword yes so did I, I did not so did trust I. that thing at all i killed this thing and it gave me a deep axe which is an oh. axe that deals dark damage uh which is this like secondary elemental damage and you're strong enough to wield it yeah i'm a knight oh. and i put mo- i put points into strength well, this is probably actually something that we should have talked about first yeah um what's your build What's so, your build, bro? Normally, I play these games as, like, a thief or something. Yeah, you want to be fast. And... Yeah, but I picked a knight because I have never done that in a Dark Souls game. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to be the Dark Souls, like, cover-of-the-box person in armor. Are you playing as a man? Uh, no, I'm a lady. Yeah. A lady knight. It's the only way to roll in Dark Souls. Yeah. I've never played Dark Souls as a man. Neither have I. Does it adjust the specs at all? No, I'm it actually specifically, this, this game is very progressive because it yeah. specifically says gender has no influence on stats. It actually says that when you go okay. to select it. Uh, like has no, it's, it's phrased in a way that doesn't even reference stats. It's just like gender doesn't matter, essentially. Oh. It's, it's actually a really good bit of translation. Yeah. Uh, but um, 
a very philosophical kind of bit of translation. Well, it's interesting though in this game because like I'm playing this knight, which I nor I normally wouldn't do because I feel like they're slow and heavy. In this game, you are so fast. Yes. Like I am wearing enormous plate armor, and I am faster than like any character I ever played in earlier Dark Souls games. Are you under fifty percent on your uh, your weighted? I don't know. I have like I think what would be like the medium roll in this game. It's not like a fat roll. Yeah. And rolls in Dark Souls, you can press a button to dive and do a somersault, and it's probably the best indicator of how much weight your character is carrying because as you start to carry more things, that roll will slow down. And yeah. so I'm at like the medium speed for that roll, probably. Yeah. All right. I'm playing a, uh, a herald. Okay. Which one would expect to be relatively fast since yeah. heralds have to, you know, get places. But I'm at about 64% of my weight limit. And so I'm not sure whether... I, I think I'm at the medium roll, too. Interesting. For that. Um, but I have a ton of stamina. But I have very little strength. Uh, and I've just been playing with a sword so far. I found a sword early on that is still like the best thing I have. In part because I just can't carry anything else. That's so interesting. Like everything else, like I get penalties because I don't have enough strength or dexterity for it. So I have I have this axe and I got I got that axe too. I assume that is, mimic just drops it. It's like way outside of my. Well, my so that axe is interesting because it does a lot of damage right now. Mm -hmm. um, but there's actually an analogous sword in the first Dark Souls, which you got by shooting the tail off that first dragon. Yeah, did you try doing that in this one? Because it feels as though I did not. This is like, um, but the that that sword was very good in the early game, mm -hmm. like this axe is. But they do not level with your abilities. Yeah, so as the game goes on, this axe is going to inherently be worse than other things I find. But for right now, I am just on things. Like, the first thing I did, like, I got it. And I just walked out. And I can just, like, I swing it so fast. I can just take out these knights. Oh, interesting. I, went, I went back. There's, like, an ice demon in the very opening area. I don't even think I heard So, in the tutorial area, there's an area off to the oh, right. Oh, you went back to the tutorial? I haven't been back to the tutorial. So, if you area. go there, there's this area off to the right. Yes, there's oh, like I, an I remember ice that dragon. Thing. Yeah. And I went in there and I just wrecked that guy. It seems like you can probably cut his tail off, but I wasn't able to do it. Ah. Uh, and generally in Dark Souls, if you cut off a demon's tail, you get some sort of prize. Uh, it's which just is like fun. the carnival, folks. Yes. Uh, so, but once I got this axe, like, I felt like I was actually able to play the game and, like, just kind of mix it up and not feel like I was just constantly getting destroyed. Interesting. Did you fight the weirdo naked man with the katana around Firelink Shrine? No. <laughs> so there's, if you go to... I haven't the, returned to the prologue area at all. It's not even, oh, it's right outside the door of Firelink Shrine. I, the door is all misted over. You can walk out. Oh, okay. Uh, so it, it's like misted. I think that's actually hiding a load. Because if you like walk up to it, it will eventually kind of go like and unmissed. Walk out, go to the right, around the corner, there's a naked guy with a huge two-handed katana, and he will fuck you up. But when I first got out there, I he killed me once, mm -hmm. and I was like, I'll bet you, because it's on this ledge, and he ran over to me, and I just kicked him, knocked him off the edge... Uh, you lost the katana, though. No, I did not, because if you reload, it loads the loot where he used to be. And so I was able to get his sword. Interesting. And then he's in front of a doorway, uh, and the lady inside of the shrine sells a key for 20000 to get in the door. Yeah, I've seen that key. So um, that's that's the door. And he guards it. Interesting. Man, this is... Okay, that's interesting. I haven't gone back to that opening area yet, because I just like keep pushing forward. Um, <clears throat> I find it... It's a great game. I want to play more of it. I want to be playing it right now. I so don't do want to be I. recording this. Talking about this really... Like, energized me about it. I kind of want to play it more than Zelda. Well, you've already beaten Zelda. And this is But there the, are parts of Zelda that I now have not beaten, which we'll touch on later. This morning I actually played some Zelda because uh, I've just been sprinkling that in. Just It should be assumed at any point when we record these that I have been playing some amount of Zelda. Uh, but I played some Zelda for the first time since really binging hard here for a second on Dark Souls. And... Uh, it's a very interesting shift, um, just because Dark Souls is like, 
I'm in a part of Zelda that is just puzzles. I'm in one of the big dungeons. Okay, so not, you're not even thinking about combat. And I, it's really weird. Like, in Dark Souls, every solution is your fists. Yeah. Like, it's just like, how will I beat this? Or choosing not to use your fist in yes. certain cases. Whereas here, it's very much just like, oh, I need to like think spatially. And it like kind of threw me for a loop when I first started playing it. And it's yeah. funny how like different they are and like what different itches they scratch despite be- both being games where it's like, I have a sword and I go around and do stuff. I mean, Dark Souls is such a heavy game. Everything yes. is so like weighted down cool. and, and like this- gravity just like pulls you down in that. And Zelda is so satisfyingly like light, light. And I mean, it has appropriate weight, certainly, yes. but it is, yeah, it is a, it's about movement. Whereas Dark Souls is, is just about like pushing through like molasses to get, yeah. Um, overcoming resistance. <laughs> It's a. I, I've also been playing some Zelda, uh, but I've been playing exclusively combat. So, I mean, there's some interesting. First of all, it's really fucking with my mind the differences in the controllers. Oh, uh, because they're so close and yet so different. Yes. But, um, I mean, I think that. that I, it's, it's, it's addictive. I don't know whether we will be able to say if it is. Or at least I don't think that I can say, is it good, is it great Dark Souls, until I've put a lot more time into it. And I'll say that I know now, like at this point in Dark Souls 2, I knew that I thought it was bad. Well, you had issues with the hitboxes in Dark Souls 2. I mean, guys just hit you when their swords don't touch you in that game. Yeah. And there are plenty of videos online, which I'd recommend watching, because they are just depressing, of like... The Pursuer, especially, is an enemy in that game. It has terrible hitboxes, and I experienced that exact bug. There are enemies in that game... A large part of Dark Souls is observing enemies, and then being... 100%. ...aware of their patterns. And there are enemies in Dark Souls 2 where the patterns visually, like, don't make sense. Like, they're not designed in a way that allows you to intuit what is happening. Whereas I feel like in this game and in Dark Souls 1 in particular, the there's a sort of obviousness to the patterns that makes them much more enjoyable games. Yeah, especially when it comes to bosses, frankly. Yes. Because Dark Souls likes to go big with its bosses. It goes big very early on um, in this. I think, I mean, I think that this is something that you and I agree on, is that anybody who's playing Dark Souls for the bosses is missing the point of Dark Souls. They, they are, yeah. And, and it seems like the vast majority of people who seriously play Dark Souls actually think that that is the game. And I think that's a fundamental disagreement between me and a large part of the Dark Souls fan base. Yeah. I mean, I, possibly even the designers to a degree. Yeah. I don't know. I think that like the bosses... The bosses have their tells, but especially in Dark Souls 2, those tells were so, like you were saying, difficult to parse sometimes, and sometimes just, like, absent entirely, Yeah, that it became a lot more, it became much more difficult, but not fair. Yes. And Dark Souls should always be fair. Yes. Um, so far, this one, the especially that one ice monster, ice dog creature... The armored one. The armored one, yeah, that you fight. The, the 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 main boss of the first legitimate area after the Firelink Shrine. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic, and I could tell. I could figure out his tells. Terrific. I always knew when I should be, where I should be moving. Um, it was still a challenge. I had a wonderful yeah. time. Well, and I accidentally wandered into his house uh, his earlier. House. Whatever, his room. <laughs> I dropped by. I was in the neighborhood. Ron, get out of my room! <laughs> yeah. I was in the neighborhood, so I dropped by on that boss. And I, like, wandered in, and I had no health, and I was, like, at half... I had no healing, and, like, I was at half health. Yeah. And I was like, well, here's a cool room. And then I was like, this seems like it might be a boss area. I and was then, wondering if I should keep moving. I was like, maybe I should turn back. I did not. And he just showed up, and it was like... I probably could have beaten him right there. I got him down to, like, half, just kind of... Yeah. Because he wasn't particularly hard. It was, like, a fun, enjoyable fight. Yeah. And then he just hit me once, and I died. <laughs> this was, I was in a similar situation. I had a ton of souls, too. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. So I just... Sometimes I you got him. a ball. I found him. I got him down, like, to just, like, a few hits away. And then he hit me for the second time, and it killed me. Because I had no more Estus. But it was... Man, that is a good feeling. When you just go in, and you're just like, we're going to roll with this. Yeah. And then... 
you lose, but you do such, you do like, you give it such a good try that you know that that next round, not only are you going to win, but it's going to feel good to win. Well, and it's so satisfying. Sometimes it's good to have like, if you last long enough to learn the patterns, Mm. so you have the confidence in the next round, that's when it feels good. If you go in and the thing just like punches you and you die, you're just like, I'm not coming back to this room. Yeah. But when you, when you kind of hold your own for a second and you see their tells and stuff, you're just like, oh, motherfucker, you don't even know. Like, <laughs> I know everything now, and you're just going to do the same things when I come back. Because I don't have patterns. <laughs> yes, I am not a computer. Um, I have one last question on Dark Souls. Let's do it. And then you can bring anything else you want to the Dark Souls table before we move on. Uh, how's your lore? I don't care. You haven't been studying up? <laughs> no. I, uh, I have mixed feelings about it. I want to care about this lore because I care about the atmosphere, especially of that first game, so much. And I kind of follow the lore of the very first Dark Souls. Uh Uh-huh. But man, they just start throwing those proper nouns at you. Yes. Mile a minute. The assumption is that you are very well-versed in the Tolkien-esque universe. Because we are not undead. Because you don't... There's no humanity. (laughs) He He means our characters. Yeah. Also, Bob, literally, is not undead. It's true. But, like, the characters are not the undead because there's no humanity in this, which is always one of my favorite features. I loved... Yes, I agree. Uh, humanity yeah. is this mechanic in the first Dark Souls where there's, like, this mysterious and like element that you can kind of sometimes gain and sometimes lose that really has, like, minimal impact on the game itself. Uh, but slight enough yes. that it's satisfying. You You hit slightly harder, you... Are slightly more effective. You get better loot. You get the thing is it increases the loot drops. Yeah. So like you you get more stuff. It's such a nice balance. I don't think that it makes you hit harder. Oh, I thought that you could hit harder. Okay, maybe that's. I my think mistake. that the only element that actually changes is that enemies are more likely to drop items. Well, the more humanity you have, but also if you were human, I think you hit slightly harder. See, I didn't know that, but oh, okay, that... Maybe it might not be the case. Um, but in any case, you're not human or, or inhuman in this. You are one of the quote unkindled i have no idea i Did watched... you notice after you beat the boss that there was a change in your hud yes well every time you beat a boss it like you kind of catch on fire and your health increases yeah and you have like little embers coming off of you yeah you have but you have more health practically oh okay i see you gain health at, during that um and then when you go unkindled that's assumed i assume that that means that you're kindled and if you go unkindled again does that mean that your overall health bar drops yes I noticed that after that, because you fight a boss coming out of the tutorial area, yeah. and the same thing happens. And then it's okay. up until the next time that you die, yeah. you are you, a better character. You maintain. But then if you die again, you're back to normal. To, to your status, yeah. Okay, that was unclear to me. I mean, I, I'm sure that there's some interesting lore here. People really adore that aspect of these games. I just want to be in a place that feels like it is crumbling, because there was once history, and yeah. uh, history is... There's no one... And now I am making my own history in which I kill everything. Well, actually, I think we're both making our own her stories. Um, what's your character's name? Uh, my character's name is Princess Zelda. Do you always do that? Yes. <laughs> All right. I was wondering if you were going to go with Link. Uh, no, I, I always that would that would be good if I had my own girl Link. Uh, actually, my character in Dark Souls One, I have I play that game a lot, so mm-hmm. I have like. A character named Link. I have a character named Zelda. I have a character named Zelda Two. <laughs> the Adventure, <laughs> the adventure of Link. Of Link. Um, it doesn't let you type all that, but it's implied. Yeah. And uh, in this one, no, I'm just Princess Zelda. All right, fair w- enough. What is your character's name? Uh, Cressida. Oh, very I name, good. I name all my my Dark Souls heroines after uh, Shakespearean. I like that heroines. That is very intelligent. And, uh, my only frame of reference <laughs> is Zelda. It's very Matt. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, William Shakespeare's The Legend of Zelda. (laughs) (laughs) Alas, poor Ganon. (laughs) I knew him well, Horatio. Um, All right, well, probably Impa would be the character whose skull you were holding. Yeah, it would be Impa. It would be Impa. Well, we can think about that later. uh, Impa in The Legend of Zelda uh, in The Breath of the Wild. What a great character. Terrific. The animations, the voice. Yes, she's good. Actually, speaking of that, so I know that you've been playing. You've been playing a few things. 
I've been playing. Do you have anything to say on Zelda? Uh, no, just that I still love it. Yeah. And uh, it's fun to you play. You guys are still together. Yeah. You're not. Nothing. It's really fun to play a puzzle centric game as a palate cleanser after you are just getting the shit kicked out of you in Dark Souls. It's really enjoyable. But uh, you've been playing more Zelda, or did you want to talk about something else? I have been playing more Zelda. I am. Um, I think last time we had talked about how I was playing Master Mode. Yes. Um, and so I kind of like did everything I wanted in Master Mode. It ceased to be like a particularly challenging thing for me. I bought a house. You beat the game. I I haven't beaten the game yet. I haven't even beaten one of the dungeons yet. But I sort of like. It was still challenging, but it, it, like I wasn't enjoying the exploration quite as much after I bought my house. Mm-hmm. Um, still, f- obviously, phenomenally fun. So I decided to go back to my first game that I was playing and try out the Master Trials. Ah, yes. Which is the other part of the DLC where you go uh, to Cork Forest and you plunge the sword, back, the Master Sword, back into its stone, and you are launched into a series of trials that. It's essentially like even Tide Island. Um, you have nothing, which is a part of the game. Which is a part of the game. It's a. It's my, in my opinion the best part of the game. It's an island out in the in the water where the there's a shrine challenge that you're forced into essentially if you land on this island where uh, you have you're stripped of all your weapons. You only have your your special abilities. So you've got like the bombs, the magnesis, etc. Uh, but most importantly, your autosave function is disabled. So if you don't complete this, you know, challenge that can take anywhere from like 15 minutes to two hours, if you don't complete that without dying, um, that's it. Like you have to start all over again from the beginning. So the, the beginning trials, of the island, the beginning of the, the island, not of the game. I wish. Um, <laughs> and I think that on this podcast previously, I talked about some of the flaws with the uh, with the Odyssey feature and how that plays into uh, plays into the master mode, the hard mode. But the master trials, which are not part of the hard mode. Uh, although I presume that you can also do them in the hard mode if you want. The Master Trials uh, are a series of essentially rooms that escalate in difficulty. And you have no weapons at the start. And you have to play through like 10 to 15 of these rooms. Um, you're given a break at one point once you can cook food. But otherwise you are just like fighting dudes in these rooms. And it is excellent. I know you played a little bit of this too. Yeah. It is It is a blast i think it is great it is fantastic it is in some ways you realize that like the the puzzles in zelda are great but like man is the combat when when the combat wants to be when you lock into the combat it works so well um to the point that like i'm like my one potential complaint is that i kind of wish that like the master trials included just like a pure roguelike element (laughs) Where, like, you get the same loot drops every single time. So you certainly, like, over time you get to know each of these levels because you're losing constantly because it's very difficult. So you know the loot drops that you're going to get. And that's interesting for planning, um, certainly. But it means that you're able to completely, like, dominate and there's one best way to play each one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether that's because, like, you know exactly how to cook the two fish that happen to be in that one pond that you pick up, etc. But... The idea of having a roguelike where all of this was randomized, like all the loot drops were randomized and the the level and enemy layouts were randomized, I'd take like some cheap, shitty like luck if it meant that I also had the potential to get like some awesome luck in there mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's fantastic. Trials of the Sword is the third of the Master Trials. I'm stuck on that one. I can get over halfway through and then... It, I just get one-shotted by enemies because I have no armor. Um, but man, it is a blast. If, if you own Zelda and you were on the fence about the DLC, do it for this because this is this is worth more than the twenty dollars the DLC costs, and you're getting like the entire you know year's worth of DLC out of that too. And this is just like a, this tiniest portion of it, and it's it's phenomenal. It's just like absolutely phenomenal. Um, like what a terrific slice of that game so yeah i hope that at some point they release a zelda master trials roguelike that just randomizes everything Um, perhaps a zelda maker yeah but it wouldn't be breath of the wild it would be what if it was though what if they just gave you all the rooms they can't do that what if they did what if they did 
What if they did? I know. I would, I, if I you would, would ask me. You would sit on the couch and you would watch me play. And like <laughs> It's the same thing that happens with Mario Maker. You essentially own Mario Maker so that you can set but it up. Essentially, it's, I, I do own Mario Maker. You own, you own Mario Maker for one reason. It's and to that watch is, you throw yourself against the rocks of Mario Maker. Every single time. You, you just like you sit down and like boot up some Mario Maker. You're like, hey, Matt, you want to play some Mario Maker levels? I'll just watch. <laughs> Because you know that you will get your money's worth yeah, every time just you, watching me get frustrated at stupid levels designed by <laughs> stupid people. You get so angry. It's so funny. It's so fun. Oh, it's a delight. Um, so yeah, I would not make levels, but I sure would play them. Yeah. But anyway, because I was getting frustrated and, you know, in a fair, the game is fair, but I was getting frustrated with the third of the Master Trials, I decided what I, I'd just play another roguelike or an actual roguelike and so I booted up Spelunky for the first time in three years yeah Spelunky is a is a game where you are a man exploring caves you're a person exploring you're a person. caves you can be any number of characters uh, and the caves are randomly generated and everything can kill you it's it's such a fun game I always forget how fun that game is the music is, is excellent as well I don't even know if I paid attention to the music oh I really love the second world music has a real genesis kind of sound to it it sounds really good I haven't ever gotten past the second world so Mm. I think that's where the music is but yeah I mean I just love that like my damsel that you can save you can save like quote unquote damsels that give you uh, they'll restore some health in between levels if you save them in a given level and mine is this like stupid looking pug it's this the derpiest looking dog so it's delightful yeah it's great um Man, that's that's a good game. I actually don't really have anything else to say on Spelunky other than that. Like Spelunky is pretty much always worth the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so I just riffed on Zelda and Spelunky and and the Zelda roguelike that I am now dreaming of. <laughs> Your dream. Zelda I actually game. that is actually like if you could say like Matt, what game do you want right now? I would just say give me Master Trials roguelike, yeah. and I would never play another game again. <laughs> I would I. I I would drown my games. <laughs> you throw everything else in the garbage. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was another Shakespearean reference. Oh, well, I'm I've made to get eight that. so far. <laughs> Keep up. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I have been playing another game. Just one. Just one. That's worth that. That's worth uh, kind of talking about, which is Project Cars. Cars is all caps because I've recently learned it is an acronym. <laughs> You're kidding. I am not. Dude, what if we just discovered that the word car itself was an acronym? <laughs> cool, awesome system. Wait, there's, cool, there's a awesome road. Riding. Road. <laughs> cool, awesome riding thing. Cart. Rider. Because there's a moment when you said that when I was like, wait, is the word car? The word car acronym? is not no. an acronym. Um <laughs> it's actually a short form of cartography because when you drive a car around, you traverse the map. Hey. Little known fact. I was going to ask what the etymology was. The, but... um, well, you know, I'm here to provide it. It's Greek. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the, um, the, uh, game project cars, this is project C-A-R-S, and that stands for Community Assisted Racing Simulator. Wow. Um, this game was developed by a company and published by a legitimate publisher, but it was funded for like five million dollars as an actual budget, which is not very much if you're funded. Like I think it might have had some community funding element. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. I haven't done a lot of research on this. This game was free on the Xbox One. Uh, is it a European developer? This game is hell of British. Like uh, the degree to, or like maybe just European. I don't know. All the spellings are super British. It looks There's very European. This part of it where like it has tooltips, and some of the tooltips, the phrasing is like, like have some of your friends round and fucking lorry up a lift. I don't know. It's fucking so weird and like colloquial and strange. And okay, I have so many thoughts about Project Cars. Um, I love a good racing simulator. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Gran Turismo games. I own a. Uh, fantastic Logitech racing wheel for the PlayStation 2 and uh, GT4 on the PlayStation 2 is like a great game that I return to and love playing. Um, drive cars in real life too. I also sometimes have been known to drive cars in real life. Yeah. Um, so the Gran Turismo games take a long time to come out and have really busted menus and 
contain just tons of stuff, and everybody always is just like, well, the driving's really good, but the menus are a total train wreck, and it took them like eight years to make this game. How is that possible? I'll tell you what, you look at Project Cars and you're like, man, those Gran Turismo guys really putting it together. They're doing a good job. <laughs> because Project Cars is like total insanity. Um, it is a racing simulator game where you are, it is not like Gran Turismo, which it, like Gran Turismo just seeks to emulate driving cars generally, like yeah. from a Honda Civic to a Formula One car and everything in between. They just want to be like, do you want to know what it would be like to drive that car? We're going to try and provide that experience. Project Cars is like, here are 76 bomb-ass cars, and we're going to make a really good racing simulator with them. And it might be a really good racing simulator. I kind of can't tell. Like, I think that the actual driving simulation... Have you not gotten through the menus yet? No, I, I made my way to the game a few times. So, okay... Parts of this game look really community-made. Like, some of the 3D models and stuff, just, like, some of the graphics just look like it just, like, fell out of an open-source project. Really? Because the one thing that I thought I'd heard about this game, the one thing I knew, was that it supposedly looked like, like, quote-unquote, real life. So, sometimes it does. So, the thing that this game does really well, uh, all of the events take place, like, over a day or two. So, it'll be, like, you're qualifying, and then you're, like practicing on the track you're practicing on the track then you have qualifying laps then you do the actual first round of the race and then you do another one and the day will pass oh, and the, cool. so the sun will be in different places uh and the weather might change it might start to rain the rain looks incredible and like the way the sun will look sometimes you, you'll like have the time of day where you'll be practicing on the course in the morning and you'll come around that turn and the sun will be in your eyes, and it'll be like, oh, this turn sucks, because I always just hit the sun on it. But then later in the day, that's not the case. And that sort of stuff's really cool. Uh, and very true to life, and, and yeah. a neat simulation of part of the experience of driving a car on a track. Because so much of like a racing simulator is just, you have to enjoy driving on the track by yourself as much as you do driving with other cars like it just has to be about like i just want to shave time off of getting good at this track like that's like where it's fun for me yeah um and so this game's like pretty good at that it has like major issues with control um and i'm playing this on the xbox one it was a free game that's why i'm playing it i understand that maybe it has some bugs control wise on there and i would believe it because it doesn't seem like anybody ever tuned it for a controller like maybe with a racing wheel this game is just like perfect I think that the physics simulation for the driving is actually quite good, but you are incapable of harnessing that with a joystick. Like, hmm. so it's just you. It's great because it's like this racing guy talking on my radio, and he's like, "All right, then we're gonna go out, and the, the tires are cold. Be careful!" And it's just me spinning out every turn, just like completely wiping out into the wall. And he's like, "Oh, you left the track. They're gonna penalize us if you do that again." And then it's me getting back on the track, getting to the next turn, spinning out into the wall, and him being like, "Ooh, invalidate your lap time there." Keep it together. And just like this man, I'm just driving him to drink, I guess. <laughs> I am terrible at driving. And his only job is to coach me to success. And it's... Uh, so, like, you kind of can't play it with a controller. And... That seems like a... It's a flaw. A, a major flaw. <laughs> but, like, then... That's in certain cars, and then you'll drive other cars, which are similarly, like, high-powered rear-wheel drive cars, but they control, like, Mario Kart. Like, and I can't tell if it's, like, somebody in the community was, like, I threw together this other kind of racing and just, like, put it in the game, and it doesn't actually... It's not, like, set up properly, mm -hmm. but there's just situations where you're, like, this feels totally different and not like it's actually using the same it's not like calibrated the same yeah. and like some of the courses it feels like the bounding box like the the spot where it's like you're off the course you're on the course and we're penalizing you or not feels like it's drawn like extremely close to the course like maybe a little inside the course oh. so you're kind of like really tight on a turn and you're like i nailed it and it's like you cut that corner there they're gonna kick you out of the race so you say it's community? What was it? Community, uh, community assisted, assisted racing living? simulator. Okay. Um, 
community assistance, does that mean, so I, I don't know if we've actually, maybe I missed this and you said this and I was just like, we were talking about cars, so I stopped caring, but like, <laughs> does this mean that like, that like the community is actively creating assets? Not currently, but I think in the past. In the past. Okay. So, so they like sourced from the, from the community that was like, they had helping some to build hand this. in it. Okay. Because so, that's, that's sort of interesting because then like, what, what how does the title tie into the game itself as it currently exists? I don't know. Is there is there an online? I assume component? that large parts of this game were created by part of this community. Okay. I don't know. It it's weird. It's why is it free? It was free as part of like the PlayStation Plus equivalent, like free. Oh, as you have games. that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, if there's this weird thing too, where it's like sometimes it just has like the menus are impossible to navigate. I cannot emphasize enough how terrible they are. But then also it's like, even within the races, like my first race, I finally like found these vehicles, these like old style F1 cars that were very easy to drive. I think because of a bug, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like having fun cause I was like good enough at it. I could do it with the controller. And we start the race and he's like, all right, let's get off to a good start out there. And they're really good at putting a lot of cars on the course, which is something Gran Turismo has generally been kind of bad at. So it's, like, cool, because, like, the field will be, like, 25 cars or something. That's Yeah, that's impressive. Except that the AI is terrible, so then they all, like, bunch up in the first corner, and they're just, like, spinning out and crashing. Can they, and then they, they hit sh- me. I flip over. This is the first corner of the game. I have a good race. I flip over, and there's no option to flip me over reset i'm just upside down and the race is just going on and i'm just in the grass that's a ballsy move you're upside down watching the race go <laughs> I'm by. Just there what so like do, do cars actually crash or does it yes there is there is like deformation and there can okay. be damage so the only thing and the reason i would recommend it if you have a xbox and this is ever free uh you should download this game it has the best use of rumble i've ever felt in a video game what's the i, I know that you've got trigger rumble yeah, it's on Xbox. One. And then it's got other rumbling in it. Okay. This game, when you are driving a car, is rumbling the whole time, like on the trigger or on the brakes. Like, you have real the good tr- pressure. The trigger rumble is real nice. But then it has, when the, the car shifts, there's like a third rumble, like in the center of the controller. So the whole thing's kind of like shaking very lightly because you're at speed. Yeah. And then it, it shifts, and the sound design on the engines is great. And there's that really nice, like, and it's timed perfectly where the whole controller just like shifts. Like a single yeah. time, exactly like it feels in a real car. Oh, that's impressive. And it feels so awesome. And it's great because that happens twice on the straightaway, and then I spin out in the corner. <laughs> but it's all worth Don't worry, it. though. That gives me more opportunities to upshift as I come back onto the course. Um, so that's not a very good game. Parts of it are neat, and it is really fun to feel the controller shake like that. Yeah. So uh, I will end up getting Forza, a real game that was made with a real budget. And I admire the effort put into cars, and I think that the handling model is actually probably pretty good, but if you really want to like remember how hard it is to make video games and what really goes into a quote-unquote AAA video game, go check out Cars, because it's like, man, this is really close and miles away at the same time. But Excellent. that's basically what I've been playing. So we generally like to close out by talking about something that we've enjoyed in the past week that is not video game related. Yeah. Matthew, what have you brought to the table? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I don't know. I've, I have been engaging with a lot of interesting media um, recently. I think that I, I was debating whether to, to talk about this or not because uh, I kind of don't know how to talk about it. But uh, I earlier this week finished the fourth and final novel in Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan. Mm. I guess you call it a quartet? I think that Alien calls it a quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. <laughs> that seems correct, but I often That seems do. insane. I mean, but it's the, it's the, you don't call a, 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 a trilogy of books a trio of books. No, that's true. Uh, but yeah, the quadrilogy just sounds grotesque. It sounds so um, stupid. It, it sounds, sounds appropriate for the Alien It's an HR Geiger of a yeah. word. Yeah. Uh, but for those of you who aren't familiar, um, Elena Ferrante is the pseudonym for an Italian writer, an anonymous Italian writer, um, who's written a handful of books since the, the, uh, mid nineties. 
And her most recent series of, of books is really just one long novel, and it's been released one a year basically since 2011 uh, through the 2015. And so the four books, they range between like 300 and 500 pages, um, but one, one novel essentially. Um, I, it's the best thing I think I've ever read. Really? Yeah, I was I was talking to some other people about this, and I just I don't really know how to express it other than that. Like, I wouldn't recommend it to just anybody. I think it might be the best thing I've ever read. I'm not even sure if it's my favorite thing. I'm I'm pretty sure it's not my favorite thing, but I think it might be the best thing. Wow. I absolutely I absolutely love it. I think it's an astonishing. Again, um, I know earlier today, before we turned on the podcast, you and I were talking about media that is difficult at times to take in. Yeah. Extraordinarily difficult at times. But um, it's in its attempt to capture not just a life and, of, a, of a woman, the narrator, or the life of a neighborhood. It is, uh, is particularly about a friendship between these two, these two women from childhood through... Uh, old age it is just exceptional um, it's an, again it's an Italian novel it's translated from the English by I think it's Anne Goldstein she's a, an editor at the New Yorker so she's got her bona fides for sure excellent translation the prose is just really luminous throughout but it is um, it sustains its energy across you know what is nearly 2,000 pages of text uh, and it's you know I've been there with Proust I've done you know Ulysses and its map of Dublin but like this is just like such an exceptional novel and extraordinarily accessible too um it is at no point difficult and it's always its plot is consistently propulsive but man it is it is just like a real incredible piece of work um so good that I actually have started it over from the beginning. Wow. So I'm reading it again. That's extremely high praise. Uh, yeah. I mean, it would be, you know, it'd be selling it short to say that, like, you become so close to the characters that you just don't want them to go away because it is much more complex than just that. Mm-hmm. But to, um, man, just even going back and it, the, it, it goes chronologically. So restarting it, I'm back with the two, the two main characters and the narrator when they're children. And you're meeting all of these people who are also children Hmm. at this time who will later grow up to play these different roles and looking at their interactions at a young age, you know, it seems on, it's, it's, it's like watching, you know, this is, it's almost like watching home videos at this point. Yeah. Um, Man, they're fantastic though. If you, if you enjoy reading, uh, seek them out. They're, they're really, really wonderful, wonderful novels. You can find them at pretty much any bookstore there. They've been I don't think they ever made a bestseller list, but they're fairly popular. I think that the first one was a big book club book. What's the first one called? It's called My Brilliant Friend. Yeah. Um, the second one of, the, of all the volumes is maybe my favorite. The fourth one is also... I mean, they're all just fucking fantastic. Uh, if you have an interest in, in, in reading, if you like books, read this. If you, like, if you just like stories, just read this. It is, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. That's awesome. Uh, so I don't have anything nearly as powerful as that. Uh, well, I don't know. Um, so um, tomorrow I'm going to go to a concert and I'm going to see uh, Jeff Rosenstock play with Laura Stevenson. Um, and those are two artists that I really like, but I'm going to talk about Jeff Rosenstock's most recent record. Uh, and these are, these are both rock and roll musicians. Uh, they actually were in the same band back in the day. Um, which was called Bomb Music Industry, but now they're both solo <laughs> artists. And um, yeah, what, what label are they under? So uh, Bomb the Music Industry was uh, they released everything for free. That was okay, like their whole I was going to say yeah, yeah. Like they, they they were like and and Jeff Rosenstock gets compared a lot to uh, Ian McKay, Ian McKay from Fugazi. Okay, which Fugazi, of course, notoriously every record was like 10 bucks and every show was $5 or something like that. And like totally existed outside of the industry yeah. in a lot of ways and started their own label and all that stuff. And he's done a lot of that too. I think he's actually technically on a label right now, but whatever, however you can get his records, uh, you can get them on his Bandcamp. Um, there are two full lengths that he's put out. The first one's called we cool question mark. 
The cover of that record is a car parked in a driveway with the back all smashed up, <laughs> which is Excellent a great, great, yeah, yeah, truly, it's terrific. Um, I love that record. Uh, I heard that record for the first time last year. What year was that? 2015. Okay. Um, and it it just blew me away. I don't know. He the record is from 2015, just to be clear. That one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the, that's called We Cool. Um, and are we cool? Uh, and uh, it's he was turning 30 when he made it. Um, and the first song is called Get Old Together. And he wrote it like on his 30th birthday. And I am 29. And I have not heard a record that spoke to me more than that record lyrically. Like m- maybe ever, which sounds kind of weird, but like he is, I don't know. He's a guy who like smokes too much weed and drinks too much and has been in a rock band and his parents are disappointed in him. And he is a good lyricist and he writes about it frankly. And it's all couched. He, you know, he was like in ska bands when ska bands were a thing. And so it's all couched in like, you can tell that he maybe like you kind of goes like, well, I kind of like that real big fish song though. <laughs> like he still kind of has that, but a lot of it has like those cheesy, like Pinkerton Weezer synths. Is there a part of you that sees this, that sees his trajectory as like an alternative that you could have gone down if you had just stayed in your high school ska band? <laughs> uh, I am not good enough at instruments or lyricism. Uh, so no, but I'm glad that he's doing it because somebody needs to. Uh, so that record was really cool and it's just like 12, 10 or 12 songs, um, that are like song length, like three minutes. Mm -hmm. So then his new record, uh, came out last year, late last year. And at the time I didn't really listen to it a lot, uh, I clicked through some of the songs, the best way to hear something, I clicked through three of the songs and said, I don't know. (laughs) Um, what I didn't really realize at the time, and I just never went back to it, and now I'm going to go see him because I loved his other record, so I've been listening to this record, uh, his more recent one, which is called Worry. Um, and it is insane. It is, like... And in, in, I, I don't want to compare it to what sounds like the greatest literary work of all time well, or something. No, this is, this is a podcast but for absolutes. In many ways, yeah, zeros and ones. Uh, <laughs> in many ways, it is... It's not like the best thing I've ever heard, but just it is a real achievement. Um, so it starts off and it's like there are three songs, three or four songs that are just kind of like songs, like three minute long things. And at a certain point, it like pivots and turns into an Abbey Road-esque, just like these things are all a minute and a half long and we are just going and they are never stopping. So it's just a medley. Yeah. Oh, and nice. what's weird about it, and I think what's really neat about him and just people who release things rapidly is that now I can go back and I realize that he's actually kind of doing this on We Cool. Like, Mm. some of the songs actually, like, one of the reasons that I love that record and it's so propulsive and that I think it's so easy to sing along with is that when you finish one song, your brain triggers the next one because there's no gaps Mm. and they actually do drop into each other, but it's not as explicit as this where he's got, like, a real show tunes bent to him, too. So it's a lot of that, like... It's crazy, and it's like, in many ways, it feels like it's... Is it just one long song, in many ways? Kind of, but sort of not. Moreover, it just feels like he made a record about all of the music he liked. That also, like, that, so, like, there's a minute-long ska song on this. And then it dumps into a really hardcore punk song, and then it just dumps into a power pop like '50s song, and then it just dumps into like a Weezer song, and it's all like couched in like pop punk kind of stuff. Yeah. But like lyrically, it's terrific. He got married before he made this record. The cover picture is from his wedding, and then like the there's a song about looking into an apartment you can't afford anymore that you used to live in, and like wondering about the stuff that the person in it owns. <laughs> And stuff, and it's he just writes about good stuff. I love him, uh, and his new record's really good. So go get it; you'll enjoy it, or you might not enjoy it the first time. But I bet you, if you listen to it like four times, I was watching a movie. I was at the movie theater with my girlfriend yesterday, and I was having trouble focusing on the movie because the choruses on this record are alarmingly catchy. It's Jeff Rosenstock. Yes, Jeff Rosenstock. Laura Stevenson is also excellent. Yeah. I'm sorry I did not give her time on this. 
But uh, well, I think we're, we're at our, our point. I really want to ask you what movie you saw yesterday, but we'll we'll touch on that. It was the next podcast. The Beguiled. How was it? It is. I liked it. I would say Rowan and I. Rowan is my girlfriend. We both think it is like a seven out of ten. We can bleep her name out. Don't worry. Seven, seven out of ten. Do you like Sofia Coppola? Generally? Yes. Okay. I like somewhere a lot. I don't like Sofia Coppola very much, so I'm wondering whether I will like this more or less. That's a great question. She films things so cleanly and beautifully, but yes. like there is no yes. room for anything that is not beautiful. And I don't know about that in this. Okay, so but I'm it, curious. It's very. This movie is spare. Yeah. In a very interesting way. Well, maybe we'll get into that on our movie podcast. Yep, which is called some Zero Stars. Thumbs. <laughs> Zero Thumbs. Zero Thumbs. Um, we cut them off to avoid what? enlisting. <laughs> and now uh, all we can do is watch movies, but we can't use the remote. We can't tell you if we like them or not. Oh. So that's about it. But we are, for the very first time... Uh, for this round of podcasting, for the first time since I think the the early '90s, we're taking listener mail again. Yeah, so if you want to hop in, uh, we have we're getting on email, and that's going to be at podcast at zero stars dot co. So that's not com, but instead co. Uh, and if you want to hit us up, we'd love to hear from you, and we will read literally anything on the air. So yeah. even if it's negative, please. Write us. Yeah. I mean, except for John Barron, please stop writing to us. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's really getting irritating. Yeah, we can't answer those questions. Yeah, not on air. Um, and even if, maybe if you depose us, but I'd rather that you didn't. Yeah. In any case, so long, everybody. Yeah, thanks for all the fish.